Rye Smile Films presents The Shop. And now here are your hosts, Matt and Jesse. Welcome to The Shop this week, Rye Nation. We are taking a look at the best movies or maybe the worst movies that never made it to the big screen. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, this is kind of an extension of a conversation from last week's episode of Batman and Robin being that, you know, as much of a bomb as that was, there were discussions to find a way to continue on with that film with a part five. And it was going to bring Joel Schumacher back and Clooney, your boy Chris O'Donnell, mm-hmm. Alicia Silverstone, this new Bat family, for one final crack at it. And so I'll just kind of go first with this and we'll kind of alternate stories. So kick your feet up, Rye Nation, pour yourself a drink. Matt and I are treating ourselves to some Templeton rye. As we've discussed before, this has to be the smoothest rye whiskey we've ever tasted. Yeah, there's a story that goes with this, but Jesse and I were both shocked to find out that this was a rye. Actually, both the ryes that we tried mm-hmm. thought were bourbons, and the bourbons we tried we thought were oh, ryes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a story to all that, and we plan on plugging that heartily at some point. And Most I think definitely. maybe we've got something in the pipeline. But Most uh, definitely. In the meantime, this Templeton rye is really good, so here's to you. Here's to you. Here's to the shot, and here's what we never saw. And here's to story time this week, Rye Nation, so... Have fun. Have fun. So I've repeatedly heard this uh, fifth Batman film called Batman Unchained or Batman Triumphant. There's kind of, you know, some give or take with that. But it was a projected 1999 release date, uh, and they were going to kind of continue with the same, a little bit of the same silliness, but with a more darker tone. The villains were going to be Scarecrow with ideally possibly Nicolas Cage or Jeff Goldblum cast as uh, Jonathan Crane Scarecrow. And Harley Quinn, and I can't get any really lead on who was interested on that. But it was going to be a real, a much darker, less campy version than than the last two. But still fun, but not like Batman and Robin. And, you know, it was going to feature this kind of crazy fear toxin sequence that was actually going to feature Batman seeing all of the villains of his past return. And I think the, there was plans to bring back like Danny DeVito and Jim Carrey as the Riddler, but the big one was Jack Nicholson as the Joker for one final crack at it, which could have been pretty cool, maybe. Yeah. And it would have been nice, too, to kind of see George maybe get a crack at a good Batman film versus the one we saw last week. So that all fell apart after Batman and Robin's grosses came in, and it was just a nightmare, and they went into full panic, rebuild, let's do something else mode. Like I mentioned, they killed Superman Lives, the Tim Burton, Nicolas Cage, and... There's a whole story on that that we're not going to tell, but um, you can see photos of Nicolas Cage in a Superman suit. It's insane. <laughs> Great documentary somewhere that oh, I've Super- seen about that too. Oh, the, what happened to Superman Lives. Right. Yeah, that's good. YouTube maybe? Eh, maybe yeah. Oh, no, actually it is. It's all on YouTube. Yep, that's right. There you go. So then this kind of led to what do we do with Batman? And there's a few ideas that kind of floated around. One is actually called Batman Dark Knight. That's D-A-R-K-N-I-G-H-T. The word was kind of combined. But this was going to be kind of a loose adaptation of the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns, Batman giving up crime fighting, Dick Dick Grayson, you know, kind of going on and assuming the the mantle of Nightwing. But this is interesting because this was kind of going to kind of be a a focus on Jonathan Crane's Scarecrow again, but a focus on Man Bat, Kirk uh, Langstrom, who um, he turns into this creature. So there's a great episode of the animated series called On Leather Wings that kind of talks about this. So that's kind of what the film was going to be about. Got shit canned at the last second because they wanted to move forward on a Batman Year One or Batman Beyond film. So then that leads us to Batman Year One, Darren Aronofsky, and he was going to co-write this thing with Frank Miller. 
and it was going to be pretty interesting, but they had some bold ideas of how Batman was going to look. And there's, he's often quoted as saying, uh, we're going to take everything you know about Batman and just kind of throw that out the window, which is troubling for, you know, such a fan as myself, but they were going to have Batman be like a Fonzie type greaser working in like an auto shop. And he was going to have like a motorcycle and his costume was going to be very greaser like it was just a far that's a far cry from batman year one the actual adaptation so you know that was actually moving along pretty good and even at one point the wachowski brothers at that time now wachowski starship whatever they called themselves (laughs) they turned in a script draft of this thing because they were at the height of their powers with the matrix films at that point they wanted christian bell to play batman for this version this all kind of got chickened again. So now we come to Batman versus Superman, directed by Wolfgang Peterson of Das Boot and Troy fame, who is going to take a crack at this kind of um, confrontational film before the one that uh, we got in 2016. Again, Christian Bale approached to uh, play uh, Batman and Josh Hartnett as Superman. Matt, do you know who wrote this screenplay? Mm, Soderbergh. Mm-mm. Andrew Kevin Walker of oh, Seven wow. Fame. Seven. Mm-hmm. So this kind of Warner Brothers came onto new management kind of around this time, and everything was just kind of so convoluted, and stuff was just they liked J.J. Uh, Abrams Superman, they liked uh, you know a, a different version. They still wanted to do a reboot, so they're kind of in a big mess at this time as Marvel's kind of figuring out a, a little bit with Spider Man and the Hulk and whatnot, the X Men. So this all just kind of falls apart and there's like really, really nothing to show for it. But it does lead to uh, David S. Goyer, who kind of got involved with Warner Brothers, who kind of said, once you get to Batman versus Superman, you've essentially exhausted all possibilities, which that's a very true statement. So then we get to him and he turns in his draft, which becomes Batman Begins, the first crack at that. And the rest is Batman history. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where to start with the head scratching moments in that story after Batman and Robin, the idea that maybe the audience was ripe for a fifth Batman installment Mm -hmm. that truly is puzzling. Yeah. And then if you consider what the landscape of heroes on film celluloid cinema was at that time Mm -hmm. and mostly because of Batman and Robin, yeah, that they would want to jump back in in any way, shape or form is just, yeah, it did need some time to kind of gestate and kind of figure itself out because it had gone so off the rails with Batman and Robin that there's kind of no coming back from that. So you almost kind of have to pump the brakes and come back at it with the new approach. But some of those approaches were just kind of insane. There's a fatigue that we all experienced at the end of Avengers mm-hmm. in game and was even addressed by Feige. There's a different kind of fatigue that was the sort of fatigue that Batman and Robin left you with. And that two-year hiatus, because it's about two years until we see Blade. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's not to cast a vote for Blade being the rescuer of the superhero genre. Blade is unequivocally the rescuer of Marvel. Mm -hmm. They are full-on bankrupt. And I know because I'm owning stock at that time in that company. It's like got it for under a dollar a share. Not bad. So Blade comes around and resurrects it. But that's a much different superhero. That's not a Batman. Mm Mm-hmm. Or Spider-Man, that's, we're talking D-list yeah. and horror. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, that is... is yeah, that, that, that film's rated R. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
with the vampire superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The twists and turns. I'm grateful for all of these missteps because what Nolan was able to kind of do with that trilogy, and we'll we'll t- we'll have to maybe do that trilogy as a cask one day. That'd be interesting. But it's um, it's pretty amazing what they were able to kind of do when they kind of really got back to the dark roots of Batman. To me, Batman Begins is a very it feels like those graphic novels from the eighties. It feels like the long Halloween and the stuff by, uh, Lee, Bamejo and on, uh, Brian Azrello, all those great artists that are still continuing it to this day. So yeah, I think we got a decent product out of it. So real, that's, that's, real quick before I jump into this one, I got to ask you this and it's just off the cuff. So sure, do sure. the best you can with it. Go ahead. Is the scarecrow as Batman rogues in the top five to 10 of the villains you like, or is he lower than that? Eh, top 10. Top 10. And I think depending on how he's used, you know where he's used really good? Mm-hmm. Batman Arkham Asylum, the video game. Yeah. Oh my God, he's so cool. All right. So there's some levels, fear levels that are just mind-blowing. Cool. What's your first one? Total Recall 2. <laughs> but I have to give you some of the story on Total Recall 1 to get Total Recall 2. I would totally watch a Total Recall 2. <laughs> get you Asta Jupiter. <laughs> These people want air, Cohagen. Give them the air. <laughs> Originally, it's a short story called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, written by Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. And at this point, when this script is being talked about or optioned, he's a still a pulp writer. Um, Ron Shusett of Alien fame mm-hmm. takes the first crack at it with Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon's only significant writing credit to that time is a movie called Dark Star, which if I'm not mistaken, he did with Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And it's trash science fiction. Yeah. Like, isn't the the alien in that like a beach ball? Oh, you're right. It's awful. Mm-hmm. But Dan O'Bannon can write. Mm-hmm. The problem with Total Recall, as I'm going to call it, but is her named, we can remember it for you wholesale, mm-hmm. is it's only like a 30-page story. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of Philip K. Dick, actually. Yeah, short stories, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. So this, the, the story is optioned by Shusette, and the original draft is given a crack to Dan O'Bannon, and he writes a really great first act. Okay. That's about all that he can squeeze out of those first 30 pages. So the second and third acts, he has to pin essentially from spec. And from all accounts, that draft is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, they shop it. It has some lo- It has some legs here. It falls down. It has some legs there. It falls down. And eventually, she said, is going to leave the project briefly to go direct this little movie called Alien. And in so doing, gets a picture deal established with Disney. Mm, okay. Alien is so successful that Shuset gets a multi-picture deal set up with Disney. Alien so successful, it's our most downloaded episode. <laughs> right. That's so stupid. <laughs> At this point, though, the Total Recall property is still pretty hot. Okay. And the next director to be attached originally, this mm. is not the remake yet, this is the original, is David Cronenberg. And it had a lot to do with the alien head, Klaatu in um, whatever that guy's name, the the body. Quato. Quato. Thank you. Klaatu. Quato. Klaatu's a. Uh, Quaid. Yeah. Free your mind. Boy, you're good. And he's like this little like turd baby. <laughs> but that specifically was why they liked Cronenberg because of the body, body horror, horror dysmorph. Well, that makes total, that's why they makes did total it. sense. Okay, and here's the thing that of all that we talk about, maybe some of these decisions were good. Okay. You know who's attached to play Quaid at mm, this time? I don't think I know. Richard Dreyfus. Oh, no way. Right, no yeah, way. Yeah. 
long story short, Cronenberg wanted William Hurt. I don't know if that's better than Schwarzenegger, but it's way better than Richard Dreyfuss. Can I just go on an aside go, real man. quick? Yes, I think, I think William Hurt is kind of like a little Clive Owen for me. Okay, I, to that, um, <laughs> I like Altered States and the rest of his film stuff, except, and I'm yeah. going to admit this to everybody in Rye Nation, mm-hmm. except for his little bit in Mr. Wonderful, which is Annabella and Annabella Shiroa and Matt Dillon, a schlocky rom-com that I love. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> totally forgettable. Good. Um, they can't come to an agreement on that. Cronenberg leaves, and the project is at this point essentially dead. With a pretty good script still pinned by Shusette. Now, this is important because okay. Shusette has, with um, O'Bannon, first right of refusal. So they're going to get the first crack at a draft regardless going forward. And okay. this is going to play. Okay. Okay. There's like seven directors before the script finally is given to Paul Verhoeven. And Paul Verhoeven decides to give it to Richard Rush to direct, who had just done The Stuntman. And then that has Patrick Swayze attached um, through Paul Beresford. Paul Beresford uh, did Tender Mercies and Breaker Morant. Mm. Um, We go through some more ownership issues and ends up in the hands of Dino De Laurentiis. And Dino De Laurentiis Enterprises goes bankrupt and Total Recall is dead again. Jesus. Yeah. So where's it going to go to now? And Arnold Mm -hmm. brokers a deal with a really important guy that's going to be a consistent theme in all three of my stories tonight. That is Andrew Vajna. Mm -hmm. At this time, he knows Andrew Vajna at a little up-and-coming company whose really only significant credit to this point is a movie called Red Heat. Mm-hmm. And so they get him attached. Paul Verhoeven somehow gets Sharon Stone attached. That's going to play out later with Basic Instinct. Yeah. And this movie is greenlit, and we're probably four to five years into drafts. Nice. Okay, so finally it's greenlit, and off we go. And the movie's awesome, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> At this point, the polish on the script is done by a dude named Gary Goldman, who is known for doing RoboCop with Paul Verhoeven, so kind of Paul Verhoeven's hired gun. Uh, Schwarzenegger, I said, is attached. And we go through some more rewrites. Here's the issue, and this was a hotly debated moment from one to the end of two to the remake, and that's is what Quaid, that's the Schwarzenegger character, sees Mm -hmm. real or is it a dream? Because that plays out what his true motives are and um, if he's been hijacked by a larger government organization. And so they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on that. Finally, it's finished and it is rushed through the editing process so fastly that Gary Goldman and Paul Verhoeven don't even get to see a previewed final version for this reason. It's got to get out a week to two weeks of ahead of another movie that's coming that is called Dick Tracy. Mm. So they didn't want to compete with Dick Tracy. So literally it's rushed out and they both admit Goldman and Verhoeven both admit that movie was about 85% good. We could have made it a hundred percent good if we'd had one more week really to look at the dailies in total as a, a previewed version and then cut and edit where we needed to. And they both agreed like it was almost the best movie it could have been, but not quite. It looks pretty good to me <laughs> Yeah, because of Dick Tracy. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. <clears throat> Does really well. Okay. I think at the time it's top three grossing science fiction films of all time. Mm -hmm. And immediately we go into sequel discussion, of course, because this is a franchisable industry. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately it's kind of put on hold. And this is around like 1990. 
Okay, so this is where the total um, total recall total recall part two starts in. Gary Goldman options another Philip K. Dick property, which is Minority Port, which is supposed to be the basis for the story of Total Recall Two. Okay, and they find a way to work it in with Quaid and using those um, precognitant mutants to sort of act as the precogs in Minority Report. And they have a decent idea that's new, but still uses the established characters from Total Recall <clears throat> 1 to kind of play out what you all have seen in Minority Report. Um, unfortunately for everybody involved, about this time, and we're going to get to this later, Karolko and Andrew Vajna go bankrupt. That kills the project. And despite the fact that Paul Verhoeven retains the rights to the property mm -hmm. of Total Recall 2, okay. Shusette and O'Bannon still have the right first right of refusal for any new draft. And we also have now Gary Goldman involved. So we've got a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. And who really owns the script now is a bit questionable because De Laurentiis went belly up, Total Recall 2 has gone belly up at Carolco. And that's a fun story too. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the script is then given to a guy named Jean DeBont, who you all will know from Twister and Speed. Mm -hmm. This is Total Recall 2. And it goes back to the original story of Minority Report. Total Recall 2 is not attached, and Minority Report is made as it was originally intended by Philip K. Dick. Mm -hmm. Took five years to get Minority Report produced. Wow. With adapted material from a pre-existing full fleshed out story that didn't have to have the second and third act crafted the way that um, uh, O'Bannon did for Total Recall. Jump in anytime you want because I'm getting wordy here. Well, it's interesting, you know, now that I'm just thinking about it, like, I don't know if there's like a Philip K. Dick property that doesn't have this happen to it. Like the story and making of Blade Runner is just as tumultuous as any as Apocalypse now. It's like his stuff is so complex and trying to adapt it and all these drafts and changing of the story and trying to adapt these little short stories into feature length films. Like, I don't know, there's some shit in there. I don't know if you've ever seen imposter with Gary Sinise. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty bad movie, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, this it's interesting. There's a long gestation period for total recall. I didn't, I, I did not know that it took that long to get that made with so many different people involved so we're like six years into total recall too and debont gets speed two which sucks <laughs> which real. then says we're taking you off total recall too mm -hmm. there's no way we're giving this to you did you see your movie what happened mm -hmm. and then spielberg gets <clears throat> minority report mm -hmm. and this is like 1999 2000 2002 and he gets it across the finish line and minority report ends up being what it was which i think to a lot of degrees mm -hmm is a very different Spielberg film. Jaws is a little dark. Minority Report is freaking dark. Man. Yeah, yeah. That is a dark film. It's a dark-looking film, too. Mm -hmm. Back to Bankruptcy Court. Okay. We're sort of trying to figure out who owns the rights to this and who owns the right to that, and we're figuring out what's supposed to become of Duroco, and this little company called Dimension shows up, and it's on the successes of Scream 1 and 2, and they acquire the rights to Total Recall 2, and Harvey Weinstein takes over. Ugh. Okay. I know. <laughs> Here's the weird thing about this deal that Dimension had at the time. They also had a deal set up with Disney, but they had placed a moratorium on Dimension's produ production, okay. and they couldn't make a movie 
that went over ready for this, $12.5 million. Wow. Total Recall 2 was slated for somewhere around 80. So here was the deal that they made. Okay. And the remaining picture deal that Company X made with Disney, if one went over X amount, the other one had to be under Y amount to keep the average to 12.5. Okay. So if Total Recall 2 is originally slated for 80, and 12.5 is what you could, I mean, you've got a lot of ground to make up. There's no way. So at this point, they kind of kill the project and they hire a dude named Matt Sorolnik to basically keep some life in the property and retain the rights to it by keeping it active, but write it for like nothing. He turns in this amazing draft. It's awesome. So all of a sudden, Total Recall 2 is back on again. Okay. Remember I told you Ron Shushet and Gary Gold, all those guys had, mm -hmm. they still have a crack at it. Yeah. So that it's greenlit, they get a crack at a rewrite. So they already have a pre-established script. Yeah. And they call up Ron Shushet, like, look, I know you have the rights to this. I guess take a crack at it. We really like the script. Do you want to send it over? He's like, now nah, we'll do our own. Mm -hmm. Ron Shushet and Gary Goldman turn in a script that's better. Hmm. So now we're struggling with there's too much good material. It's a great draft. Everybody said, Harvey Weinstein, that's a great draft. So as it turns out, there's a couple more drafts. It bounces back and forth between those two guys. Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't make Total Recall 2. Instead, he chooses to make the sixth day. And that he flat is not going to make any more Total Recall movies. He's done. Stop bugging me about it. Mm. After Ron Shusette and Gary Goldman take like the second round of cracks at it, it goes back to Sorolnik because um, Schwarzenegger's passed. So it's a dead. And then they, he revives it again. Again. A brand new, this is like the fifth version of Total Recall 2, a fantastic 12-page treatment. Like, I read it. And, yeah. It's, well, it's in the book that I did the research on, and it's an amazing, has a political angle to it. So what's it's the, awesome. What's the premise? Just sum that up real quick. Oh, I, I can't. It has to do with- it's too much. I, Yeah. At this point, there's so many of the premises in my mind, I can't even keep them all straight, but I can tell you okay. they're all really good. The final version has a political angle and almost a Manchurian candidate-like a feel to it. Interesting. It was, Yeah. Um, okay, so greenlit again. We're back to Ron Shusett and Gary Goldman because they retain first draft rights. Anyway, long story short, by the time um, Arnold Schwarzenegger leaves the film industry, could go become the governor and spends another eight years, mm -hmm. Total Recall 2 remake is dead or is now in play, and Total Recall 2 is done away with, and we never see it except a version that's a combination of all of the Sorolnik draft parts that were good okay. and the O'Bannon, Goldman, Shusette parts that were good in a four-issue comic book that plays it out to the truest form of what was left. And I forget who produced it. It's not Vertigo, but it's someone like Vertigo. And that artist who did that in the writer, that is a dude named Vince Moore, who I'm not sure okay. who that guy is, yeah. but that was the final resting place for Total Recall 2. Have you looked on Amazon to see if we could like get that in like a compendium or something? Uh, I will as soon as we finish uh, yeah, that, this podcast. That would be awesome. So there you go. Wow. I didn't even know about a Total Recall 2. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that, that, that's honest, honest to God. And I think maybe I've mentioned this in one of the episodes. That's my favorite Schwarzenegger film. Oh, sure. Endlessly quotable. It's fun. It's yeah. Is he in a dream? Is he not? Yeah. Philip K. Dick is a hard nut to crack. I, you know, I've, you know, I have a lot of his books, man in the high castle, you know, Amazon's doing that show right now, but poorly by the way, yeah, in my opinion, not easy. Like he's, he's a very heady science fiction guy and you know, for, you know, 
I consider Blade Runner a winner in Total Recall, and Minority Report's a pretty good film, but then there's the Adjustment Bureau and Paycheck, and there's a lot of crap in there. The other thing that was really tough about this breakdown on this particular film is I had to read this chapter twice because there's so many twists and turns. The other thing that I didn't really spend a lot of time talking about is Arnold gets all of those rewrite drafts. Mm -hmm. And even Weinstein is like, what is the matter with you? This is a really good draft. Mm -hmm. And Schwarzenegger just says, no, 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 no. And so they keep trying to tailor it to another version of what they think his next interest level is. And he just continually shoots it down, shoots it down. And he shoots it down for like the six day and eraser and some of that ladder trash that he does. Mm -hmm. And from like, again, it's a synopsis in the in the book that sure. I read. Yeah. But those those treatments all sound they're pretty heady, hmm. but pretty solid. Interesting. So there you go. Total Recall 2, what never made the screen, except if you want to find the comic book. Well, that's great. That's that's a really good one here. And just, you know, kind of to catch you up, you know, Matt and I did a lot of our research here from two books really. Uh the one I have is by Simon Braun called The Greatest Movies You'll Never See. And it literally starts in like the thirties and like goes all the way up to like the two thousands. Why Hitchcock, Chaplin, uh, Spielberg, uh, you know, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, great films. And uh, which one, which one do you have there? This is a book written by David Hughes called tales from development hell and the greatest movies never made. So, um, under title question mark, it a great read. I devoured this book. Mm -hmm. I, it was done. Yeah. Read the hell out of this book. I think you can find both of these on Amazon. So if anyone's interested out there and they want to kind of read for themselves, definitely check them out. Yeah. I got a really good one next. So, Sweet. you know, I'm not a big uh, E.T. fan. You know, I think I find it a fairly overrated film. I thought you were going to say you weren't a big Chargers fan, but okay. That's yeah, that either. <laughs> All right, touche. But, uh, but let me ask you too, Matt. Like, in 82, when E.T. came out, just kind of cooperate. That movie was all the rage. Like, oh God, we saw it a hundred times. Uh, I loved it, and it made a lot of money. A Fortunate. lot of money. Uh, it, it was essentially it defined the summer of '82. So, the road to get to ET is very interesting in where Spielberg was at as a filmmaker. So, you know, this kind of starts around 1979, 1980, and Spielberg had done Jaws, gigantic hit, Close Encounters, not as big of a hit, but still a pretty big hit for him. So now he's got some clout, he's got some carte blanche to play around in Hollywood, and he wants to follow this up with a, a comedy, this comedy being 1941 with John Belushi, which is a funny film, but, man, audiences were not buying this when it came out. So it's a colossal dud, and I think they spent a lot of money on it. So it uh, his first big bomb. So this kind of really, for him personally, is like, well, I'm, I doubt, I thought I could do it all. I obviously can't, so I need to kind of figure out, you know, where, where I need to go, what my niche is. And he breaks up with Amy Irving around this time. They had just recently got engaged and been been together for uh, a few years now. But to kind of back this up, we got to go back to 1955 and an incident with a family called the Suttons and this incident that they had on their farm that involved aliens. Uh, they had alleged to have had a close encounter, you know, on their farm, on their ranch there. And it was publicized in a local paper. And, you know, Spielberg caught wind of this, you know, around this time. I was like, you know, that sounds pretty good. You know, familial roots, family dealing with, you know, something extraordinary. So he starts toying around with this idea and he wanted to kind of go horror with this, maybe more along the lines of what Jaws kind of was. And he starts developing this kind of idea that becomes Night Skies. And the first person he gets to kind of take a crack at the screenplay is a 
pretty prominent, not at that time, screenwriter, John Sayles, who... Eight Men Out. If you haven't seen Eight Men Out, oh my God, that's a great film. Yeah. But he, he he's written quite a bit, but up until this time, the only thing he'd really done was Piranha. Wow, John Sayles. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, so he gets first crack at this thing. And you know, you know, this this story's interesting. You know, it sounds horror, but at the same time it has that like Spielbergian feel to it at the same time. You know, it's gonna be this kind of family of aliens that like are terrorizing their this farm. And I kid you not, the names of these aliens were Hoodoo, Clud, Squirt, Scar, and Booty. <laughs> and what? Booty. Your what hurts? My booty. Did some antibiotics. Oh my god! Those are terrible names. Even yeah. aliens don't those, like those, those names. Those are horrible. Yeah, it's, it sounds too cute. And you know what it reminded me a lot of was Gremlins. Oh yeah. So more on that here in, in just a little bit. So they're kind of formulating this screenplay, and I think they got a really interesting guy in because Spielberg wasn't going to necessarily direct this. He just wanted to produce something, and he first kind of uh, gets Ron Cobb to direct this. Now, for those not familiar, Ron Cobb was actually the conceptual artist on Alien and got another Alien tie here. This is just Alien Day. Mm-hmm. He didn't uh, really want to do it, so he kind of goes around the lines to his you know, his bullpen of like buddies and, and whatnot and eventually finds its way to Toby Hooper, which they eventually started talking, and Hooper was like, I, I don't know, I want to like big into Alien Steve. What I really want to do is kind of like a, like a ghost film. Is this before Texas Chainsaw? After. <clears throat> wow, so mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw, and he was in the dis- he makes Texas Chainsaw, and then he's in the discussion for this. Mm-hmm. Wow, I guess there's something about right place, right time that should be taken note to everybody who's listening. But then, and maybe sometimes fate saves us from that. No, exactly. And Toby um, Hooper, yeah, but he wanted to make like a ghost film, sure. and that eventually becomes Poltergeist. Okay, so here we are. We're film making. My favorite Spielberg film of all time now, Raiders of the Lost Ark. While this is happening, this script's pretty well finished. They're going to kind of go into production, and the genius of all geniuses starts working on actual creature uh, prototypes. Mr. Rick Baker, who at this time is also just blowing the world away with his work on an American werewolf in London. They they had to create an Oscar for best makeup because it was so good. <laughs> he was the first winner of that. Was it just Baker and Savini year after year nominated year after year? After year Savini after? was never nominated. Again, that's the horror thing. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah, not treated properly. But man, Baker's in. He's yeah, the, he's rarefied air. Rarefied air. I would love to find this footage somewhere, wherever it exists, in someone's vault to kind of just see what the tone would have looked like. Was it more cutesy like Gremlins or was it more alien like Alien? You know what I mean? Like yeah. what was going to be the tone of these aliens? So Spielberg's making Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's in a bad place, um, broken up. You know, he gets a little homesick while making this film. And he's making a terrific film at the same time. Mm. Harrison Ford's dating a woman at that time named uh, Melissa Matheson. And, you know, they get on to talking while she visits him on the set about, you know, she's a, she's a, a screenwriter and they get to talking about just different ideas. And it starts from this night skies and it evolves into something else and something else. And then it becomes E.T. So they start writing this film. This is when it happens. But I just think it's very interesting. Night skies didn't happen. But I think for the most part, the elements of of it that we that we see in Poltergeist and Gremlins, Spielberg produced films essentially kind of formulate that that element, these create this creature element, this kind of ghostly paranormal 
and then like this family component, which he really hit home in ET, which is, it's, I think that's what he mostly wanted to do. The alien to me is secondary and all that. I wonder with that original family structure and those aliens, who the opposition was for them. Was it another alien race? Was it the neighbor next door who's a redneck who won't like move his truck out of their driveway? No. I just, <clears throat> yeah, no idea. Cause that's so weird. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it was to set place here on earth. Yeah. So are uh, these aliens humanoids that can hide in plain sight because they look like us, but then are not? I thought they were just going to be like creatures and they're just like terrorizing this family. It, it sounds like critters too. If you've never seen critter, that's right. a bad movie as well. Right. It sounds like that, like the premise of that, just being terrorized on this farm away from society. So thumbs up or thumbs down on this? Are you glad this never saw the light of I don't day? Know, the, or more, do you... the more that I read about it, the more I was like, yeah, you know what? It's probably good that this didn't happen because it, it could have been too much. It could have been a little too cute. So yeah, those names are a bad start. Booty. <laughs> your Hutu. And Hoodoo. And your, ugh, yeah, those are bad names. And Shart. <laughs> an SNL reference. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you hit us with with one more, Matt? Let me take you back to the late 80s. Okay. I'm going to take you actually back to the set of Total Recall. Ooh. So we're back. This is the story of not Total Recall 1 or 2. a treasure trove of stories here. I I promise everybody out there, the research that I did and chose had a through line, but it wasn't intended. Mm -hmm. I think it speaks to this specific company and this character that, again, is going to show up. I mentioned at that time... Schwarzenegger and Total Recall chose to kind of hook up with Andrew Vajna for their work together on Red Heat. So they're on the set of Total Recall, producer Vajna and Arnold and Paul Verhoeven. And Arnold sort of in a flippant remark mentions a movie about the Crusades. I think this movie has an iconic status in the movies that were never made because someone has, everyone has some version of a story that at least rings a bell in their mind. Mm -hmm. So Verhoeven and Vajna are like, yeah, why not take a crack at it? Let's see what we can do. And of all the people to hire to write the original screenplay, they hire the guy that worked with Sam Peckinpah on the wild bunch, which the guy's name is Waylon or Walton Green. What is that, like 20 years ago? <laughs> like at this point? Yeah. That's a long time. He was young working with Sam Peckinpah on that film, but uncredited for most of it, but literally his sidekick pinning word by word, day by day when Peckinpah wasn't loaded, uh, the script for The Wild Bunch. Mm-hmm. The basic story for the Crusades is Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to play a guy named Hagen. He's a thief. He gets uh, caught thieving and is thrown in the jail to be basically executed via hanging. He's smart enough and resourceful enough to take a cross image and burn it on his back so that then his executors see that he has a stigmata and he's saved. And away we go with his freedom. And while he's in jail, he makes a friend that kind of acts as his guide and his actually Islamic buddy who's an influence that sort of acts as the balancing act. So Arnold's a hired gun, and in the script, he's going to get in a plane on both sides okay. for the Christian forces and for the Muslim forces. Um, at its essence, this movie feels a little bit like Conan with a stronger element of a love triangle in it. Okay. Does and it sound a little bit like uh, Kingdom of Heaven? We're going to get to that in just Ooh, a minute, okay. but yeah, you're, you're setting it up. Thank you. Okay. 
Um, there's a little bit of a little bit of a rags to riches feeling as he's almost <coughs> to be, um, you know, done away with into this lofty position in both armies at different times. Um, ultimately, the goal that both armies are seeking is a piece of the cross that Jesus was crucified on. Okay. And in the original script, Arnold's the only one, and much like a Mjolnir Thorway, who's able to wield this heavy piece of the crucifix, Mm -hmm. and he stumbles out in a Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of sequence as everybody around him sort of meets their terrible fate, and he is essentially carrying this cross across his shoulders on the back, much like Jesus did um, before his crucifixion. So it's very historically appropriate the problem with this script, if there's a problem, I, from what I read, I didn't see a problem. Okay. Is that it was too honest. And what I mean by that is it wasn't afraid to show the Christians and the terrible light that they portrayed mm, themselves in sure. in the Crusades. And I got to be honest with you, mm-hmm. Verhoeven is really good at recognizing what trends in Hollywood were, <laughs> but he missed this one. Because and he's really great at showing violence on screen. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, Verhoeven might even be—I know he's Dutch, but I think he might even be Jewish. But here's the mm-hmm. thing that that script also showed, written by uh, this Wayland Green, okay. is the slaughter of all the Jews mm-hmm. that the Christians did on the way to rid the Holy Land of the infidels. Okay, so in this, it, it was bloody. There's castration sequence. It's everything that we like about Verhoeven when he's over the top. Wait, what year is this? Uh, what, 89? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so draft is written, Verhoeven reads it, and I'll be honest with you, he doesn't really like it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Which is shocking because this guy is like from Hollywood royalty. He wrote, he wrote the, the, you mm-hmm. know, the Wild Bunch. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so the problem though is Vajna, that guy we've talked about, who's the president of Kurilko at this time with Messer. Is that the other guy's name? His partner, Wasser. What's the other guy's name? No, 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 no. Um, Kasser. Mario Kasser. Mario Kasser. Thank you. He's already paid Waylon Green to develop the script, so they can't just fire him. They're um, just throwing around money like no one's business. Right, <laughs> which is interesting because yeah. we're going to get back to that too. And and everybody likes this script okay. except Verhoeven. Okay, so guess who Gary... So Verhoeven hires Gary Goldman from the previous story that I just mentioned, okay. Mr. Robocop, okay. and Total Recall now too. And You know what other movie Gary Goldman wrote? No. Big Trouble in Little China. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Hey, those are three pretty good credits. Yeah. Total I, Recall, I'd RoboCop, like, and Big Trouble. I'd like that on my resume. <laughs> Would you? Okay. <laughs> You're so noble. I'm so noble. Yeah. Goldman likes the script, but he tweaks a few things in it. And when it's finished, it goes back to Verhoeven and Vajna, and they both see how good the original green script was because the tweaks actually make the script worse. Okay. Um... There's one big change in that. It's called the Shadow Warrior sequence, and essentially it's Arnold against the... It's either the Dawn or... I think it is the Dawn. Uses the shadows of the sun to create like this large shadow image carrying a sword that looks like a cross, and he kills this guy, and they take that as a sign from God that... Um, this is a divine purpose with a higher order. And like, this is a big, 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 like 15 page sequence in this that basically uses Arnold in shadow form to trick the army into basically retreating. That sounds badass. I know. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, sounds, yeah. sounds really good. Especially with him. And like, again, like the crusaders are getting their asses handed to them mm-hmm. 
by the Islamic forces and the shadow warrior sequence comes up and it kind of turns the tide okay. of this. Yeah, man. I'm on board so far. Okay. So 1993 okay. goes into production and here's who is attached. So we've got a little <clears throat> bit of time now. Some that rewrite such and such 1993 goes into production and here's the cast to go with him. Okay. Robert Duvall as the uh, sort of Muslim guy that kind of befriends Arnold in jail. Okay. John Turturro. Interesting. And the love interest is Jennifer Connelly. Oh, wow. What a killer cast. I'll watch anything she's in. What, what? I'll watch anything she's in. Oh, no joke. Yeah, <laughs> me too. You, right. Um, that character that Connelly plays is named Layla. Okay. Um, despite all of that, and the vat, at this point, they've already dumped $15 million into rewrites and, and not even really launching this, but getting it to where it is. Somewhere out of the blue, mm-hmm. Kuroko starts to kind of look around and saying, man, this is getting expensive. And the numbers with Vajna, who has a PhD in mathematics and every single reference page in the world on the internet wants to make that very clear that this is a PhD in math. That's, I don't know how that serves you as a film producer. Funny, But they start to get a little bit worried. And this has to do with the failures of another movie they have just done. They got their butts handed to them with Chaplin. Mm. It lost a fortune. That's a good movie, though. So they kind of start looking around and saying, oh, man, we can't have another loss like this. Look what happened with Chaplin. Doesn't portend well. We're already $15 million into what's going to be like a $100 million plus script. And Arnold and all of his genius says, okay, well, I've already brokered a deal with you. And the deal that I've brokered with you is what they call a pay or play deal. And that's whether the script is made or not, whether you make this movie or not. I get a payday. So he gets $12 million. And the rights to the script. I know. Maybe back end too, you would think. Yeah. With with him. So at the so we're ten million in before Arnold's payday, plus his payday, we're like twenty-two plus. There's not a single scene that's been shot. They don't even own the rights to the script anymore. You'd think someone would pump the brakes and say, maybe we should just keep this going because we're already a nope. They didn't want to risk the rest of the money because they wanted to put it into another film. And I know you know what film they chose to put it into instead of the crusade. It was Showgirls? Nope. Earlier. Think Pirates. Oh my God. Cutthroat Cut Island. Island. Cutthroat Island is what got the remaining amount of Kuroko's war chest instead of this Crusades film. Look, that's a galactic failure. Ugh. Awful film. And that does them in. That leads to the bankruptcy piece that I was talking about in the first story with Total Recall. That's what led them to that piece. Okay. Okay. So, like I said, Arnold got his payday, um, 12 million contracted. He still keeps Verhoeven attached because they're good buddies at this point. And he goes about trying to shop it at other places. And here's what happens to both of them Paul Verhoeven follows up Total Recall essentially with a couple movies you might have heard of Showgirls and Starship Troopers dead on arrival Mm -hmm. he's only going to slightly resurrect his career with hollow man and that's debatable (laughs) okay arnold's next choices are end of days and eraser and even though those are okay films financially they weren't and now both entities like this in the span of two years with arnold still having this hot property in his hands are considered too risky to invest what's now probably a 120 million dollar film to get produced the right way that's crazy how fast it can change in Hollywood. Well, to that, also against them mm-hmm. is this movement to not do historical epics anymore either. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact of Ridley Scott and Gladiator, they thought that was a one-off and don't put your money on that because that just got was lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Crusades is that sword and sandals movie, but they said, nope, we're not doing it. Yeah. 
Okay, so Gladiator was, like I said, viewed as an anomaly. And then we go up to 2001, and this gets to what you said earlier. Okay. And um, it's in development, according to Schwarzenegger again, <laughs> and 9-11 happens. Wow. So now we don't want to stoke the flames in what is an enemy perceived overseas or otherwise. Too hot. Too hot. <laughs> so... You know, even like when Bush is addressing people, which pretty much everybody thought at the time was the right course of action, saying we must go on a crusade, like people were cringing, and you're going to do a crusade movie. No way. Terrible timing. Yeah. Um, okay, so then this is what you said earlier, and this is the last thing. Mm -hmm. So jump ahead to February of 2002, Ridley Scott, who had been discussed to do take over this film, sure. puts out Kingdom of Heaven, which sucks. <laughs> and... If the project wasn't curtains, it's really curtains now. <laughs> and that ends the story of Arnold Schwarzenegger and the crusade. I think to this day, mm -hmm. he still owns the rights to that movie. And he probably, and he's still got a good payday. They've discussed it. And since <clears> he's <throat> kind of come back, they've discussed in various things about like, well, maybe we can resurrect this and use you in a way as an elder, not such the warrior guy. I don't know if anybody wants they to see that. They just don't film. make that type of movie anymore. You know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. 300 was the last, but that's based on a graphic novel by Frank Miller. So, and done in a really different way than actually like the, the, the video, the way that movie is shot is so different. Yeah. Wow. Wow. wow praising Zack Snyder. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> to that wow <laughs> to that wow that's a wild story I, so just estimate just kind of just off the top of your head how much did they spend without rolling one reel of film it has to be just just shy certainly north of 25 but just just shy of 30 god for nothing literally to then let cutthroat island finish you off <sighs> that vajna guy's going to continue and i have another story <laughs> Coming up next week, which I think this is a good opportunity maybe to you have another up. you have another vagina story. Careful, <laughs> you be careful right now. I will. <laughs> yeah, I think we're um, Matt and I have, are having a lot of fun with this. We hope you enjoyed this little shot episode. So there's a lot more to talk about. There's a lot more films that involve Stanley Kubrick mm. and you know Star Trek, Dune, you know Lord of the Rings, Smoke and Mirrors, Houdini. Like there's a lot of stuff that we're just kind of scratching the surface. So I think we're going to turn this into a two parter. Um, I think maybe next week we'll do another shot with another four stories of best movies uh, never made. <laughs> Mercifully. Mercifully, yeah. Excellent. So until next time, cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse.